<laughs> it's a good book. It is. It's a good book. But it, it can be scary because if you don't get the context of it, then some of these things you hear in here, you go, man, am I saved? <laughs> and the whole, that's kind of the whole point behind it, honestly. Is, but um, it's still, it's one of those things to where the, if, um, if you don't have a full picture of what this book is about, then it'll really make you question just um, if you've ever been born again or not. And so um, some of the things that I dealt with this week, um, I had a young man that texted me, and um, he, um, he was as sincere and genuine as he could be, but I could tell he was concerned in his text. But his, his message said, um, So according to 1 John chapter 1, verse 6, I believe is what he said, he said, according to that verse, I don't have fellowship with Jesus Christ and I can't have fellowship with Jesus Christ because I have this sin in my life. And it's a sin that um, he's working on, actively working on. But it's one that, um, and it's complicated. I can't, I'm not going to give you the details. Just trust me when I say it's not necessarily one that he can just uh, overnight just get out of. There's, there are other factors involved. And so, um, so anyway, I felt for this guy because in his heart, that was the message that he thought he heard. Now, that was not what I preached Sunday, all right? But that was the message that he thought he heard. He thought he heard that, that John was saying that if you have any sin in your life, then you can't have fellowship with God. And that is not what John was saying. John was dealing with false teachers, all right? And God, John was dealing with people that um, were being led astray by these false teachers. And they were teaching doctrines such as um, you can have a relationship with God and there really is no such thing as sin. Uh, there really is, since God has forgiven you, um, He has wiped away all that and you don't have to worry about that anymore. So basically just, just live uh, your life the best that you can and don't worry about if... Um, if there are things that um, you get yourself involved in in the culture, it's, it's okay. Uh, don't worry about it. It's, it's not a big deal. We can live however we want to and still be right with God. And John has to come in and say, wrong. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. And so if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, then we lie and the truth is not in us. But he don't stop there because then he goes on to say, if we say we have no sin, then we also lie and deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so he moves to the fact that he's not saying that a, a true Christian is not going to have any sin in their life. No. The fact of the matter is, anybody that says they don't have sin, they're what? They're a liar. That's just the truth. We are actively in war, engaged in war with our sin. We have been born again to, to fight our sin and to walk in light after Christ, but we are still battling with those things. And so just because you have sin in your life, even ongoing sin, even ongoing sin, and I, I can get to that a little bit deeper if you want me to too, but the point being is when I got that message, I just spent a lot of time just ministering to him and talking to him and and just asking him questions. Some of the questions I asked him was, uh, do you hate the sin in your life? Um, do, are, you, are you okay with the sin in your life? And you don't have any conviction about the things that, that are in your life that you know God is not pleased with. And no, he's just the opposite. No, he hates his sin. He, um, he, he, he hates that he has desires and things that are not of God. And I just told him, I said, Brother, that right there is one of the main evidences that you indeed have been born again. That's one of them. Now, that, ain't, that don't mean that, um, you know, even a lost person can hate certain wrongs in their life. But, um, but that is an evidence of someone that has been born again. And so that, that had to be dealt with and addressed. But the reason why, I, and I told you this Sunday, the reason why I love studying 1 John so much is because he makes his writings so clear. Every one of them, he tells you right through the book, I'm writing for this reason. You know, uh, for instance, if you were to go to 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, you know that's what we've been focusing on, and it says there, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have 
eternal life. So why did John write this letter? What does he want? What's his purpose? He wants you to know that you have eternal life. And so that is a purpose that he wrote it in. Another purpose that he wrote, hang on, let me find it here. I think it's in chapter 2. Okay, yeah, so, so he's writing these things to them so they don't continue to just walk in sin. And again, the context is very important because he's talking about following these false teachers and what they're, they're teaching them in. But another thing that he says in verse, uh, first, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, look what he says right there. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, if you were to back up, I'm not going to re-preach it, but if you were to back up the first few verses, he says, Listen, I proclaim the gospel to you. I want to know that you have fellowship in eternal life, just like we, the apostles, have fellowship in eternal life with the Father and with the Son. Because again, some of these people were saying that you can have Jesus, or you can have the Father and a relationship with God, but not have Jesus. Now think about that for just a minute. Let me prove it to you. I did Sunday, but I'll show you again. 1 John chapter 2, verse, um, verse 21. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lies of the truth. So this is why he wrote. Who is the liar? Here's the liar that he's talking about that he's having to deal with, that he's writing. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Look at verse 23. No one who denies the Son has the Father. So it wasn't that they were actually denying the Father, they were denying the Son. But in denying the Son, who were they actually denying? The Father and Christ. And so... You can't have one without the other is the point, all right? And so verse 24, he says, or finish verse 23. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. And what, what did they hear from the beginning? That Jesus is the Christ, that He is the Son of God, that He is God in the flesh. And so he says, let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that He made to us eternal life. And look at verse 26. I write these things to you about those who are trying to what? Receive you. So again, you can, if, you, if you look at the whole letter and you don't get too locked in in one particular place, but that's what happens. The reason why we get it out of context and we, we get scared in this book is because we, we don't understand the purpose of what he was writing for, what he was actually addressing, what he was actually talking about. He was not talking about you in individual personal sins. He was talking about people who are denying that Jesus is the Christ, they are denying that, that you don't, that you can, they think you can have a relationship with God, but, but Jesus is not the Christ and He's not even real as far as they're concerned. Now think about this. Imagine that you were the Christian church today that you are, but your pastor is Islamic. He believes in God, right? But does he believe in Jesus? So he believes he's got a relationship with the Father, right? But does he have a relationship with the Father according to Jesus? No. And so John, in a sense, even though he wasn't necessarily dealing with Islam, he was dealing with another false religion, but he was dealing with a similar setup there. You have these teachers that are saying, you don't need Jesus. You, can, you don't have to follow Jesus. You don't have to live in holiness like He is. You don't have to be transformed into His image. All you have to do is just ask God to forgive you and, and once God forgives you, you just live fulfilling the desires of your flesh and you don't worry about anything else. You'll be saved for the rest of your life. And there's a problem with that teaching, right? Alright. So go to 1 John chapter 5. <clears throat> 
And let's look at how he closes this book. That was my point. That was my point Sunday. My, what I was trying to do with my outline Sunday is I was trying to show you what was happening in the false teaching of this time and then give you examples of it from our time. Like I was telling you about the, the pastor of the megachurch that said the way he stays successful and the way he keeps growing his congregation is basically, I just stay in my lane. And they say, well, what is your lane? Well, just don't judge people for their sin. It's not my business. Basically, I do, I'm an encourager. I, I inspire people. That's my job. So in other words, I don't need to tell people about sin. I don't need to tell people to repent. All I have to do is preach the love of God. And how many of you know that churches all across America today follow that same mindset? I don't want to talk about the wrath of God. I don't want to talk about hell. I don't want to preach to my congregation about sin. I just want to come in and tell you all about the grace of God. I just want to tell you all how much God loves you. I just want you to know how much God adores you. I just want you to know how you are the center of God's full attention. And that's what today's gospel, that's what today's Christian, many Christian songs are written toward. It is a self-centered gospel that says God is all about me. Let me tell you, God is all about me. And don't get me wrong. Did God so love the world that He gave His only begotten Son? Yes, He did. But you need to understand something. God saved you when you were dead, when you were an enemy, when you were ungodly. It is not you that God is centered on, it's God Himself because He is love. That's who He is. You say, well, well why did God save me? Did He save me because He saw that I was going to believe in Him? No. Wrong. No, He didn't. He saved you because He loved you. That's it. It ain't because you loved Him. Did you love Him before He loved you? No. Were you His friend before He called you? No. You were everything opposite of that. And so the focus of our religion has to be the gospel, the love of God in Jesus Christ, the demonstration of that love toward not people that I'm so strong and I'm so powerful and I'm so loved and I'm so... No. No, the gospel says, while you were yet a sinner, dead, ungodly, Christ died for you. And God demonstrated His love towards you in that. And so we get it twisted today and we turn this thing into, it's all about me. And God's all about me. That's right. That's exactly right. That's right. At the end of the day, it is not about us at all. Let me prove it to you. Hold your place in 1 John. Go to Ephesians chapter 2. This is just one scripture I'll use to prove it to you. Maybe it's chapter 3. Let me find it real quick. No, it is 2. It is 2. Look at um, Ephesians chapter 2. We're just going to read a few scriptures and go through it quickly together, okay? So if you have your Bible, make sure you're there with me. <clears throat> now, Paul spends the first chapter of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1, telling you who you are in Christ. You are redeemed. You are forgiven. You are adopted. You are predestined. You are chosen before the foundations of the earth. He, he names off everything that you are in Christ. But then in chapter 2, he tells you who you were. Alright? Chapter 2, he says, okay, and you were what? Dead. In trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What's that next word in verse 4? But God being rich in what? Mercy. You want to know why God saved you even though you were dead? Because he's rich in mercy. What does it mean to be rich? 
He's loaded with mercy. This God is loaded with mercy. But God, being rich in mercy, and because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead... Remember, it's not about you. It's about His mercy. It's about His love. That's what we come in here and sing about. We don't come and sing about, how, uh, about what we are. We come in here and we proclaim His greatness, His glory, His love, His mercy. All right? Even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. That's what He did. By grace you have been saved. What is grace? means you didn't deserve it, right? So again, taking all the credit away from you whatsoever. Got nothing to do with you. Got everything to do with His mercy, His love, His grace. By grace you have been saved. And look what else He did in verse 6. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now that's what He did for us. Stop there for just a minute before we go to the, to the next verse. So we were dead, right? Walking in trespasses and sins, following the course of the world, following Satan who's at work in all the sons of disobedience. But God, because He's rich in mercy, because He has such a great love, and because... He has so much grace. He saved you and made you alive and seated you in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. Now we're going to see why He did this. Here's why God did it. In verse 7, what's the first two words? What does that tell you? What does those words tell you that this verse is fixing to explain to you? The reason why. In other words, God did this so that this will happen. Y'all with me? So let's see why God saved you. Why God give you grace. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Somebody take just a minute and read that again and you explain it to me. Why did God save you? What does it mean to show something? To let it be seen, to put it on display. Here's why God saved you. For His glory's sake. Now read it again. So that in the coming ages, when do you think he's talking about? He said he seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So in, according to that context, when are the coming ages he's talking about? Well, now, you're right, from now on, typically I really believe that in this context he's talking about in heaven. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Now think about this for just a minute. Because this is beautiful. Here's what's going to happen in heaven. In the coming ages, and even right now it's happening. All right, But let's just think about heaven for a minute. Because in Ephesians chapter 3, he goes into the, the angels actually looking and, and just in marvel marveling at the grace that God gives us, all right? In the coming ages, all the angels are going to be in heaven with us. And they're going to be looking at you in heaven. They saw you and ministered to you while you were down here. They know you. They know who you are. They know your hearts. They know your minds. And yet now they're spending eternity in heaven with you who was a sinner, dead. But God, because of His mercy and His grace and His love, He saved you. What do you think those angels are going to be doing when they look at you? So that He might, in the coming ages, He might show the immeasurable riches of His kindness and grace toward you. The truth of the matter is, when I get to heaven and I say Robert made it, <laughs> I'm going to be up there going, wow. 
I'm just picking on Robert. <laughs> but I mean, seriously. Seriously. God did not save you because you were so good. God did not save you because you were going to be so faithful after He saved you. God saved you because He is rich in mercy. He is rich in grace. He is rich in love. Go ahead. For our sake, that's right. That's correct, that's correct. But again, it is all about Him. Do we get to enjoy the benefits of it? Why, yeah. Why, yeah, you get to enjoy the benefits of it. But He didn't save you just so you could enjoy the benefits of it. He saved you because He was going to demonstrate to the angels and to all creation just how rich He is in mercy, just how rich He is in grace, and just how rich He is in love. He wanted to demonstrate to all creation who He is. And because of that, we're going to stand for eternity and we're going to look around and we're going to be in awe, especially when you see Him for who He is and you see what He did for you, you won't have no choice but to stand there and just shake your head and go, God, you, you are in a league of your own. Who is like you? Who, who? What, to what can I compare you? Nothing. No one. You are, you are holy, and that's what it means to be holy. It means to be completely set apart from everything and everybody. There's nothing and no one like you. And that's the way God is. That's the reason God alone is holy. Now, let's finish Ephesians 2, and then I've got to get back to 1 John because I, I had an agenda tonight. Ephesians chapter 2. So, let's read verse 7 again. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may what? No one will ever stand. Abraham himself will not stand before God and say, you saved me because I was good. You saved me because of the great faith that I had in you. No, the faith, even the faith Abraham got was, according to this, it was what? You're, this is not a, your own doing, it is what? What's a gift? Abraham was off in Ur worshiping other gods when God called him. And I believe, my personal belief, that God gave Abraham the gift of faith. And Abraham will never be able to boast about anything, and neither will you. We'll never be able to boast that anything about our salvation was our own doing. Verse 10, For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So even the good works you do after salvation is not your doing. It's the creation of God. Remember he said, um, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? A new creature, a new creation. Old things have... Behold, new things have come. And so what we see in this right here is that you are God's workmanship. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. So your salvation has nothing to do with you. All right, go back to 1 John chapter 5. I want to sum up what 1 John is dealing with here. So what we were talking about is the false teaching. How we got there in Ephesians is that the false teaching that was going on here is that basically there's really no such thing as sin, and you really don't need to follow Jesus. There don't need to be a transformation that takes place. But the truth of the matter is you're not, going, you're not born again if there's not a transformation that's taking place. So in chapter 5 of 1 John, he sums up his letter and these false teachings. And here's what he says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. 
So that's the first, the first test that He gives. If you want to know whether or not you've been born again, and you want to know that you've not been deceived by these false teachers, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That's the first thing. You are not going to be born of God. You are not going to have eternal life if you do not believe that Jesus is the Christ, right? Because Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to... You cannot have a relationship with the Father except through the Son. But if you have the Son, you have the Father. It's what He told us in 1 John chapter 2. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So if you really love the Father, then you're going to love the Son. These people say they love the Father. That's exactly right. And so the evidence is they're not born of Him. Alright? Verse 2 of chapter 5. By this we know that we love the children of God. So there again, the other thing that he was doing is that these people were saying that um, I can be a part of the church, but the truth of the matter is, if I don't like Tim, it, ain't, it don't matter. I don't have to be long-suffering, I don't have to be gentle, I don't have to be kind, I don't have to put on humility. Basically, if Tim gets on my nerves, I can just write Tim out of my life. Or if... If I see that Sandra has a need in her life and I see that uh, she's lost her job and she can't even put, put food on her table and I'm able to look at her and go, well, you know what, she just needs to get a job because I work hard for my money. <laughs> That's kind of the way these teachers were teaching. They were teaching that you don't have to care for the children. And he said, listen, you have learned how to love by the way that God loved you. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. You remember us reading that in 1 John chapter 3, I believe it is? We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's the highest example of our love. But if you won't even give up your bread and butter for your brothers in Christ, how can you say the love of God dwells in you? Because the love that God demonstrated toward you is what? He laid down his life for you, right? That's what we've learned. And so that's what John is identifying in this false teaching right here. So he says here in verse, let's read verse 1 one more time of chapter 5. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of Him. So he's talking about the children of God there, right? So we've all been called into the same thing. And because of that, I love you. We're family. Verse 2, By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. Well, hold your place there and go back to 1 John chapter... Um, let me see what the, where the commandments are at. 1 John chapter 3, verse 23 and 24. Let's see what the commandments are. You tell me, what are the commandments of God? Okay, that's one of them. And love one another. So there's two commandments. Number one, you believe in Jesus. That He is the Christ. That He is the Son of God sent to save us. And then you love one another. If you get those two things right, that's right. So now go back to chapter 5 again, verse 2. By this we know that we love the children of God, when we love God and obey His commandments. In other words, when you see that you love other believers in your life, then you can know that you're a child of God. When you see that in your life that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, then you can know that you have been born of God. And then verse 3, first word of that says 4. In other words, this is how we know. This is why we know. For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. It's not a burden for me to love you. 
Now, granted, in my flesh, is it sometimes a burden for me to love you? <laughs> Let's be honest. Come on. We're still fighting with the flesh. But there is something in me that I love you. That it is. It's just in me. That's right. That's correct. Not in this way. Not in this way. That's right. So verse, verse 4. For everyone who has born of God, and here's the third lie that they were teaching, overcomes the world. Now let's see what John is talking about. Go back with me to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. See what he's talking about when he says the world, about overcoming the world. If you've been born of God, you overcome the world. 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, we fix and find out what's in the world and what he's talking about loving, right? For all that is in the world, what's the first part of the world? So he's talking about your sinful desires, right? That's what he means by the world here. Loving your sinful desires. I don't love my sinful desires. Now don't get me wrong, my flesh loves sin. But my spirit, man, hates it with a passion with a passion for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. And here he's talking about the transformation that takes place in your life, the war with sin. That you're not just giving in to the desires of your flesh, the desires of your eyes, the passions of your flesh. No, instead, you overcome the world. Now go back with me to 1 John chapter 5, and let's read that verse again, verse 4. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. We fight with it. We go to war with it. We're not, we're not slaves to it anymore. All right. Now look at what it says next. And this is the victory that has overcome the world. What? Because, and again, just put it in context, because you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, and you love Him, and you love God. And because you are being transformed, and you're overcoming the world through the Spirit of God that's in you, and because you love the brothers and the family of God, that is what faith does in your life. Faith in God leads you into them things because the Spirit of God lives in you. So now let's skip over the next part. Uh, go down to verse, um, verse 10 of chapter 5. I can explain the next part to you, but that's not where I'm trying to get to tonight. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. In other words, if you don't believe... Remember, think about, it, think about this. Go back to... I'm sorry, I, I should have stopped at verse 9. Start at verse 9 to, get, to see what he's saying. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony of God is greater. For this is the testimony of God that He has borne concerning the Son. You remember when Jesus was baptized? The heavens opened and there was a voice that came from heaven. And what did that voice say? God Himself testified to the world, This is my Son. And what John is saying here is if you'll believe the testimony of men, why in the world wouldn't you believe the testimony of God? The testimony of God is that Jesus was the Christ. He is the Son of God. Now, in that context, keep going in verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. In other words, you believe that what God said is true, and you have that testimony in you. But whoever does not believe God has made him a liar. So in other words, if you deny the Christ, you can't have the Father, because what did the Father say about the Son? This is my Son. I am well pleased. All right? 
So you made God to be a liar because He has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning His Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in His Son. And whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You see what it comes down to for John? Either you have the Son and the evidence is there in that you love the brethren, you love one another and you demonstrate that love toward one another and you're being transformed and overcoming the world. Either those evidences are there and you have the Son or you don't have life. You do not have eternal life. Now, going to verse 13. You see why he said this next. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. I want you to know that you have it. And if you know these things and you see these things, then you should know it. Alright, and then look at verse 14. Because he moves from this to praying about sin in our life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him. Now, the confidence in what? That we have eternal life, right? In other words, He wants you to know. What does it mean to know something? To be confident, right? So that's why He moves from that to this verse. So you've got to follow His train of thought, alright? So He says, this is the confidence that we have toward Him. That if we ask anything... According to His will, He hears us. And His will was that you believe. What is His commandments? That you believe in the Son of God. That you believe in Jesus. That you love one another. And so, He's talking specifically, not just about... Some people take this verse out of context and they say, Well, there it is. All you've got to do is pray. And God's going to hear you and God's going to do it. You want that house over there? You want that new job? You want that, um, so on and so on and so on. If you have enough faith, if you have enough faith and believe Him, that's not what He's saying. You're taking it out of context. He's talking about the confidence in knowing that because we have asked God for forgiveness, we've believed on His name, we've confessed Him as Lord, He's talking about because of that and, and through that, we know that God has heard us and we have confidence. Alright? And then look at verse 15. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we will have the request that we have asked for. Again, He's speaking about concerning eternal life. Okay? Now in that context, we get to the difficult part. This is another verse, very misunderstood, very misinterpreted. If anyone sees his brother... Remember, what's he been talking about? Praying, right? He's been talking about praying, and specifically praying to know that we have eternal life. But if anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall what? Or still, talking about praying, right? He shall pray for him, and God will give him what? Life. So here he's talking about praying for someone that's living in sin or doing sin, but it's not a sin that leads unto death. Now, what are the sins, according to his context, what would be some sins that lead to death? And that's what blaspheming of the Holy Spirit is, is the Holy Spirit draws you to believe in Jesus. If you deny that, you can't be saved. And so here in the same context, we have it put a different way. Not believing in Jesus, denying that He's the Christ, thinking that you can have the Father without Him. Can, can that person be given life? No. Alright, what's another sin in this context that we could do that, that we're not going to um, receive life if we ask for it? Okay. Huh? There you go. So in other words, if... Um, if we think we have Jesus, but yet the love of God's not really in us because we don't show the love of God, that also would be a sin. And again, it goes back to the fact that it proves that you've not been born of God, right? So here he's talking about any sin in your life that proves that you're not born of God. All right? See, now there, let me show, tell you one way this verse gets misinterpreted. The Catholics actually teach it like this. They teach that... This means that when you're in purgatory, 
that there are some sins that can be in your life that you can pray for this person and you can pray them out of purgatory. But depending on what the sins are, if it were sins that leads unto death or if it were sins that do not lead unto death, and then they divide sins into certain categories to say, if you're in purgatory and you have committed these sins, don't pray for them. They can't be given life. If you've committed these sins, on the other hand, you can pray for those and God will give them life. That is not what John is teaching. That's exactly right. So again, keeping it in context, you see that he's talking about praying for confidence that we have life by believing in the Son of God. And so he says here in verse 16, If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, then he shall ask, and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. Verse, and then it goes on. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. And we had a question about that here earlier, and I understand that misunderstanding too. Is that, is that, that sounds, what does that sound like to you? It, it, does it almost sound like if somebody is lost and they're not saved, just don't pray for them? But that's not what he's saying. Again, the context. He's dealing with teachers that are supposed to be Christian or followers of God, and yet they're saying, I can have a relationship with God, but I don't believe in Jesus. The truth of the matter is, you can pray for them, but God's not going to give them life. Not until they have been drawn to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You see what he's saying? So he's basically telling this church here that's got this Islamic pastor, if you will, he's saying, listen guys, y'all can pray for each other and for when you see each other committing sins and you should pray for one another that, um, that God will, will lead them to repentance and lead them into life. But the truth of the matter is, your false teacher up here that is supposedly right with God and yet he denies Jesus, the truth of the matter is, don't be praying for him to have life from God because that's not going to happen. Because unless he believes that Jesus is the Son of God, he can't have life. So he's not saying don't, don't pray for the lost because we know all throughout the Scripture the Bible commands us to do what? Pray for the lost. That's exactly right. It says they can't come unless God draws them. So how are they going to come unless somebody's praying for them? That's exactly right. So let's keep reading. Verse um, 17. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. So again, his point is he's really honing in on these particular sins, specifically the denying of Jesus being the Christ. The denying of Jesus. And he has to do it again. Hold your place right there. Go to 2 John verse 7. He does it again in 2 John. It's only one chapter, but look at verse 7. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. So again, he's not talking about losing your salvation here. He's saying here that you prove. If you go on ahead and do not remain in Christ, the fact of the matter is you never had God. You were never born of God. But, look what it says next. Whoever abides in the teaching has what? Both the Father and the Son. And then look what he says in verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. And so... Again, this is his purpose of the letters through here, is he has to address these particular sins. Now go with me to verse, uh, back to 1 John chapter 5. Yeah, go ahead. 
I would agree with that. Let, let me say it like this, because you're, you're right, but in the... Pro, in, well, no, well, yeah, probably. <laughs> in the proper context, here's what you deal with. He's not saying that, that I should not let them come in and sit down and study the Bible together. What he is saying is that they would receive them in the house for what reason? To give them shelter, to allow them to continue on their journey and continue on their ministry. And what John is saying is this, don't help them in their ministry. Don't help them to continue spreading this false mess. If they don't bring this teaching, you don't do that. Don't take part in the works that they're in. On the other hand, I have sat down many times. Now, I'm not saying that everybody should do this, by no means. But I have sat down many times with the Jehovah's Witness. Invited them in. Come on, let's sit down. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1 and let's first find out who Jesus is because that's where our big problem is. Let's go to John chapter 1 and let's see who Jesus is. And um, So, yes, you're, you're right. Don't, don't do anything that allows them to, um, to continue this ministry. That's right. No, that's right. No, no, and I would agree with that completely. And it goes for the Mormon faith. The Mormon faith is the same way because that's one of the big differences in these so-called Christian faiths and what we believe the Bible teaches. They do not believe in the deity of Jesus Christ. They do not believe that He is God in the flesh. And there's people today, Christians, that will look at me and say, yeah, but what's the big deal with that as long as they believe in Jesus? Well, John would differ, wouldn't he? Right. Right. Well, and that's another thing. They believe. You want to know why they're knocking on so many doors? Because only 144,000 are going to make it. And they're all working their butts off to try to, to, try to make sure that they're part of that 144,000. That's right. That's exactly right. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast. Alright, so go back to 1 John chapter 5, verse 18. Let's finish, finish up the, the summary here. Hey. Right. Yeah. Right, right. And, you're, and, and I don't disagree with you at all. Like I said, I think that, that a person has to try the Spirit and know it's of God and rightly decide, try to discern what is the proper thing to do in this situation because it may not be the right thing for everybody to just open your door and let the Jehovah's Witness come in or whoever and, um, and, and start studying the Bible with you. You know, it may be better off for you to thank them uh, for stopping by and for their concern, but um, uh, thank you, but no thank you, and, um, and let them go on. Right. Right, that's right, that's right. So, um, go back with me to First John chapter five, verse eighteen, and we'll just finish up here. <clears throat> 
He, and he, he just basically zeroes in on another way that a sin leads unto death, basically. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not, does not touch him. And again, if all you do is zero in on that part, it, would it be easy to think, uh-oh, if I have any sin in my life or if I have any kind of ongoing sin, then I'm not born of God. But again, when you go back and keep it in context, when you read 1 John chapter 2 about what it means to practice sin and to just... He's talking about not, there not being any transformation. He's talking about just you just continue on in your life of sin and there is no real transformation, there is no war with sin, and basically there's no confession of sin, there's no repentance from sin. It's just, it's just you surrender and you practice a life of sin. And he says anybody that says they've been born of God and yet that is the life that they live, no, they haven't. And that is a sin that leads to death. Why does it lead to death? Because they ain't been born of God. <laughs> and it's evidence that they've not been born of God. And then let's keep going to verse 19. We know, remember, what did he write for? What was his purpose? For you to know, for you to have confidence that you have been born again, that you do have eternal life. In verse 19 he ends it and he says, We know that we are from God. And the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true, in His Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and He is eternal life. Little children, keep yourself from idols. So anyway, the point being, <coughs> the sin that leads unto death is any sin that proves that you've not been born again. It is a non-transformation, continual lifestyle of practicing sin says you do not have eternal life. It is a not believing that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God come in the flesh, you do not have eternal life. Not loving the children also that have been, been born of God just like you have, now, if there's not a love in you because you yourselves are taught by God how to love, so how can you say the love of God is in you and you've experienced that love and yet you have none? You see, you, you understand that? You say, I've experienced the love of God. I know what it means to be a sinner and I know what it means for Jesus to save me and yet you have no love for the people that are born of God. How is, how is that possible? And so those are sins that lead to death because they prove that you have not been born of God. All right. Is there any questions? Is there any, any confusion tonight? Anything that you, you saw that you go, I just ain't sure about that. <laughs> I love you too. Anybody else besides Bobby? All right. Well, thank you all so much for your time and attention. Um, I just uh, I hope you got something out of it, and I hope that you'll be able to read all the letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. You know, go home and look at all of them now and read them in that context. You'll probably see some things different than what you've always seen them and understand it differently, too. We'll be in, back in Hebrews chapter 11, Lord willing, next week. Uh, I'll, will I be here next week? You're right. I will be here next week, yeah. So we'll be in Hebrews, but I won't be here the next week, right? Okay. So um, <clears throat> we'll be in Hebrews chapter 11. All right. Thank you all again. I love you. And um, tell somebody else that you love them and uh, you're free to go.